0: Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today is a special podcast episode. We have finally hit episode number 100. It's crazy. It's crazy that like so much time has gone by. Uh, it's been so much fun, and I've enjoyed so much of it. And I decided for episode number 100, I wanted to give back to the company that was actually episode number one, which is Mac and X Construction Products. So, episode number one was with Paul Weaver. If you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen. Now, the quality is a little bit lower, uh, but it's really the ori- origins for uh, the Rental Journal podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be having Pete McGuinness on the podcast. He's the general manager at Mac and X Construction Products USA. I was actually just over in LA a few weeks ago, hanging out with Mac and X. Uh, we recorded this podcast a while ago because I decided I wanted to have Mac and X on as episode number 100. Uh, Pete's a, a second generation rental operator, used to work with his dad at SoCal Rental in, in Los Angeles. Uh, he actually owns three different self storage um, um, businesses throughout the United States, which, which is crazy, which we'll talk about. Uh, and today he's the general manager at Mackinac's Construction Products USA. So, yeah, thank you for everyone that's tuned in for the past 99 episodes. We've finally got there and we've got some pretty big plans uh, for the next year as well. So, Again, thank you for everyone that's tuned in and supported over the past uh, couple of years. And yeah, enjoy the episode. To start off with, can you talk to me about how and when you first got involved in the equipment rental industry?
1: Yes. Um, So the way that I first got involved with the rental industry was um, I worked for my dad who had uh, an equipment rental company in Southern California and um, growing up you know he put me through all aspects of the business from being in the wash rack to cleaning the tillers and trenchers that came back from homeowner rentals or you know filling up the the water in the batteries on the scissor lifts or booms that were coming back and then as you know I got a little bit older um, he got me more involved with the the inner workings of the office. So it was in the early days when like alert management systems was one of the leading software providers. And Bill Veneras came out to his location and uh, actually like taught me how to use the, the green screen alert management system. And so I was checking in and checking out customers with their trailers and equipment and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool aspect of the rental industry when I was really young and we're talking like nine, 10 years old. And, you know, then as I got older, you know, I helped helped out with collections and calling on ARs and uh, or accounts receivable And, you know, just every aspect of the business um, got into some sales, calling on contractors to get our equipment out on rent and, you know, the fleet utilized as as much as possible. So kind of every aspect of the rental industry I've I've been involved with.
0: Wow. What was the name of the company?
1: Um, So the name of his company originally was called uh, Vehicle Maintenance Service. And then it was American Truck and Tool Rental. And then it turned into American Rentals, which is still in Southern California. He sold the business probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago.
0: And so was that something that was just like you naturally got involved with or like was your dad sort of saying, hey, get on the tools. I want you to teach the family business. Like, how did that come about?
1: I think I think early on it was uh, it was cheap, cheap labor and cheap daycare for him. (laughs) You know, that 10 year old. uh, yeah, that he just would bring me bring me out to work with him when he was working because it's a smaller company. So he's to just make sure that the business actually ran, keep kept running. So you know he brought his um, son with him. You know when he went into work early in the morning, or you know he picked me up in the work truck after school, and you know maybe we'd do a delivery or something like
0: that. This podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office. Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software. Save money by streamlining your hire business and understanding your fleet and utilization better. Create quotes, invoices, allocate equipment, and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices, making you more profitable. Pre-starts, risk assessments, maintenance, timesheets, dockets, and asset efficiency—all managed on one easy-to-use platform. Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au. And so, then, what was your role evolution then? Like, did when he sold the business, were you still involved, or like, how did you progress from there?
1: So, I actually I went to college, and one of his things was, "Hey, go work outside the business." you know, to learn something else. You can do whatever you want. He never really pushed me, hey, you have to be in the equipment rental business. He wanted me to kind of burn my own path. Um, And so I got a job right out of college working for Gallo Winery, Ernest and Julio Gallo, and did that for a few years and then came back to my dad and said, hey, you know, I'd like to get back involved with equipment rental, do you have a spot for me? And, you know, then I went into sales and during that time, he was already in the transition of selling the business. So we built up the business. We've done, we did a lot of, a lot of sales over those transition years and really made the business a lot, a lot bigger than it was um, with the no, new owner involved as well. That both put an influx of capital and new blood into the business, a lot of extra energy. And uh and really made the business a really good business.
0: Wow. And so did the business evolve like in terms of the equipment they were renting out as well over time?
1: That's right. We bought a lot of extra equipment, big boom lifts and ride-on trenchers and things that we historically didn't have, but we had the customers that would put it on rent. So we invested in those kind of pieces of equipment to to get us um, up to you know, competing with the national type companies. We actually had a, a salesperson that came over from United Rentals. His name was Vince Sorlozano, And, you know, I attribute a lot of, you know, the sales aspect of the rental business to him because I would go out on job sites real early in the morning, you know, 5 a.m. and drop off, you know, donuts and talk to the guys just as they're coming into work on, on the big, you know, tier one job sites you know, LAX and some other stadium jobs and things like that, that were going on at the time.
0: Wow. And then, so what was the progression from there? Did you keep working in that business or move out of that business? Like what was it?
1: Yeah, I I worked in the business for a little bit, uh, but then an opportunity came up that uh, I was very involved with the American Rental Association, the California Rental Association. And I knew a couple owners that were really big into the trade show uh, rentals for like scissor lifts and booms. And they wanted to get out of the business and that company was called Equiprent. So it gave me a good opportunity to buy a rental company. And, and actually the slurfs, uh, Paul and Keith, uh, that I bought the company from, um, stayed on and helped with the transition to building that business. And and that turned out to be a a really good adventure for me with with building that business up. We kept a lot of the trade show uh, rental support as well as added on more uh, construction rental and small tool rental type business. After that, uh, probably two years of building that business up, it was about the same time that Volvo Rents was acquiring a lot of different independently owned rental companies. So I sold to Volvo, which then turned into Blue Line Rentals. That's now um, United Rentals.
0: Wow. Okay. There's a few things there. So, so basically you you figured out along the way on the process of acquiring a company and getting involved. And then two years later, you figured out how to sell a company as well. Yeah. Like there was a lot of learnings in those three years then.
1: Yeah. And at the time I was, I was really young too, you know, I was under 30 years old. And so the, the experiences that I got from that were, I mean, were priceless, you know, like to actually be um, negotiating and dealing with, you know, Uh, multi-million dollar organizations when at the time like literally we had you know 16 guys and operating on a shoestring you know Mm. Uh, we're dealing with legal departments and you know big massive organizations and you know we're just a small independent rental company
0: well and it was just based in southern california you said
1: that's right it was uh, socal rental uh there was originally three locations and we consolidated down into one. We brought all the trade show business and homeowner and construction all into one uh, location that that has been an equipment rental company for, God, many a years. It used to be called A1 Party and Event Rentals, which a guy by the name of Chet Fortney in Southern California Um, And his family have run um, that business and part of the time at that location that that SoCal Rental operated at.
0: And then I noticed that you are also the owner of three separate self-storage companies. So there's a bit of a trend here of of, uh, buying into companies and sort of growing them. So what are the companies and how did you get involved with them?
1: So those companies were actually... So when I sold... SoCal rental. I I needed to find something else to do. And uh, one of my dad's business partners in uh, North Carolina was looking at purchasing a self-storage facility. It was actually a bankrupt facility. And at the time he asked my dad and my dad said, no, it's not the right timing for me, but why don't you call Peter? and so I talked to to Beej, who's one of our good family friends and he said hey do you want to do this and I said yeah so next next week I was on a plane to North Carolina and we ended up buying uh, buying this self-storage facility Harrisburg uh, self-storage off the courtroom steps you know that that next uh, that next week and then you know we we're in the storage business and that business has, has grown quite a bit. You know, we have 11 facilities now around the um, Charlotte and uh, Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina.
0: Wow. And so I saw that you're also involved with Speedway self-storage and American self-storage. So you weren't stopping there, yeah?
1: That's right. Yeah, and, and we, we've actually bought about a facility a year has been, has been our goal for the last you know 10 years to keep building onto that portfolio as and as well as expanding uh, we do a lot of building at those uh, at those facilities as well so you know we'll, we'll buy twenty thousand square feet and then expand out the rest to get them to larger facilities
0: and so what's the ongoing because we've never actually had someone on the podcast from the self-storage side so what's the ongoing maintenance and and ownership of a self-storage unit.
1: Uh, there's a lot of ongoing maintenance, and and it and it takes a it's a management company that that continues to stay on top of keeping the facilities up. Just like in the rental business, there's a lot of independently owned companies, but then there's also the big box stores um, that really kind of lift the level of professionalism, and it's it's important that that people are storing their stuff in a safe, well-lit, you know, professional type environment.
0: Mm. Has, has there ever been like a Storage Wars moment where you've got an auction going off for someone that hasn't been paying their bill? That's, when I think of storage, I always think of that TV show because it's just so many funny episodes.
1: It wasn't Storage Wars, but there was another company like that that wanted to do auctions on one of our facilities. And we said, no, just because the foot traffic is so big when you get that national publicity. So we, we do all of our auctions online. So, so then people, only the winner is actually coming to the gotcha. facility. Uh, but there was one time that uh, we were on the news because there was an endangered snake in one of our facilities, like a big python or boa constrictor that someone was storing there. So it made, you know, national headline news. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's crazy. So there seems to be like an entrepreneurial mindset here where you're, you're really continuing to grow and build up your, your equity and your, in your business acumen. So was that something that you learned from your father or your family or something you learned yourself? Like, where did that come from?
1: I mean, I've always had like a, a growth mindset personality. But, you know, for sure, you know, my parents um, were a big, big part of developing that, you know, I, I saw my dad be an entrepreneur and, you know, really work hard and, you know, the confidence that my mom gave me was supporting me with whatever, you know, crazy idea that I wanted to do. And that continuous support, I think is, is really what, you know, what's, what's molded me you know, be, between my parents, like they're, they're both my mentors for sure.
0: Mm. But I guess so many small businesses, like it's very hard for them to sustain and grow and continue. And, and you hear about all the horror stories of people struggling, like it, it's, it's an insane amount of startups that fail. You've had multiple businesses through acquisition and just growing that keep going. Like, what do you think the sort of magic source is there? Do you think <laughs>
1: Yeah. I don't think it's magic sauce. Cause it's not all unicorns and rainbows. Like there's a lot of hard times and like blood, sweat, and tears that have been put into, you know, everything. I mean, you can ask my wife that for sure. <laughs> she'll, she'll give you some funny stories, but I think the, uh, the thing that's really, you know, stuck through everything that I do is, you know, hard work pays off, you know, and I, and I always just kind of Fall back to that of you know just keep your head down and keep working towards that goal, and it'll eventually pay off. Or if it doesn't pay off, uh, you know right away, you kind of have to just readjust and 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 just make things be good.
0: Mm, no, definitely. And so, how did you eventually get involved with X Construction Products USA?
1: So- so I actually, through uh, my involvement with the American Rental Association, I was involved with something that they used to call the Next Generation Group. And one of the um, things that the Next Generation Group had at the American Rental Association was an international exchange program. And I was the first the guinea pig, I guess, of being an applicant of, or a participant of the International Exchange Program. So I went to Australia and worked at Kennard's Hire. And that's when, you know, I met the Kennard's family um, and Pete Lankin was really involved with that program and kind of navigated me through, you know, the inner workings of Kennard's Hire. And at the time I had an equipment rental company. So um, as you talked about earlier, you know, Andy's uh, vision of, you know, elevating, you know, the industry and sharing um, is something that he learned, like when he would come to the California Rental Association. And so, you know, he did that favor to me to kind of help and show, you know, what his company was doing at the time. And I used a lot of those things in you know, my own rental company and, and really tried to, um, to elevate the professionalism and workings that, you know, other people have already mastered.
0: Mm. And then that was the association with Rory then through Machinix. So,
1: so I, I had stayed in touch with um, the Kennard family, you know, over the years. And uh, when I had my equipment rental company, uh, Rory and Paul actually sent me over some jackhammer trolleys and things like that to test out for the, the U.S. market. And that's, that's how we stayed in contact. And they actually came over a couple of times and they would stay with me and I would drive them to some local meetings and things like that they had. And, and then when I drove them there, they said, well, just come in and you know, sit. And so I'd sit in on meetings and just kind of listen and then afterwards we we'd talk about you know what happened in the meeting or whatever and and then there was just a point a couple of years down the road where I, I said hey i you know i think it's time i i want to get involved if if that's if that's an option and and they were looking for someone too i think actually they they asked me hey do you know anyone and i i forwarded over a couple of people that i thought would be good you know for what they were doing and then the you know, a couple, maybe a year or two, went down the road, and I was like, "Well, maybe, maybe I can do it." You know, and and get involved with Macinex and, and and really, you know, expand the global footprint of what Macinex is doing because I I loved what what they were doing at the time, the innovation, and it, it fit with a lot of a lot of my values. You know, the the company did.
0: Mm. Because yeah, at the time, I think Paul and Rory were trying to sell into the US market from Australia. Yeah, they, they didn't really have a true US presence.
1: That's right. And it was through through a couple OEM things that were going on and uh, manufacturers rep and you know, which both of those things did a great job and really were the the footprint of Mackinac's USA. You know, like we couldn't have done it with without the hard work of that was put down before you know, we actually started the business.
0: Mm. And then, so what's your role today within Macinex and what's, what's the business look like today in the US?
1: So in the US today, we have president of the Americas, uh, which is uh, Steve Chamberlain. He actually um, used to run uh, Husqvarna Americas. And then we have a VP of sales and marketing we have an operations manager who's Brandy Carmona, uh, who's been with Mackinacs for seven years, you know, literally the first hire of Mackinacs USA. We have a network of business development managers across the US that help support our manufacturers' reps, which I think we have, it ranges about 50 um, sales reps on the ground through manufacturers' reps. And then we have an operations and support team uh, out of our Torrance office here, well, which covers logistics, uh, service, we have a financial department. And then, you know, my role currently is really focusing on developing the Canadian Mac and X market, as well as um, everything south of the border or non, non-U.S., which is, I mean, that's, you know, getting back to my entrepreneurial spirit, you know, those are the things that I really like to develop and, and, and what I like to do the most.
0: Mm, it's amazing. It's, I'm not sure how you manage your time having so much going on. It's, uh, is, there, is there a little uh, snippet of, a nugget of advice you have for people that are trying to manage their time better when you've got so much going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to try to be organized as possible and, and really it's, it's to have, have surround yourself with great people, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't do a lot of that stuff, you know, that, that we we're just talking about, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of other people that are involved that, that are making the things happen.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's probably, I think it's almost like, I think a lot of small business owners in particular, they, they don't like letting go of the reins, as much yeah. and so when they bring someone in there's you got to build up that trust over time and and not letting go of those reins and letting people make mistakes and learn and grow and become like part of the furniture means that you're not going to have that eventual growth where you're not like tired what are they what's the saying like working in the business rather than on the business i think that's something that a lot of small businesses struggle with
1: and it's hard because like, it, it's really personal, right? Like if if you, if you build a business, you know, from the ground up, like you have a, a personal connection to it. So like, I struggle with that of letting other people, you know, do those things, you know, because it, it is hard. You, you don't want anything to happen, you know, to something that you've built, you know, yeah, it's like your but baby
0: sort of thing. Yeah,
1: that's right. You know, and just, I mean, just like with the kids, you know, like I have two kids and you, you never, you want to put them in a bubble so that they don't get hurt, you know, and, but that's not going to help them because you can't live in a bubble,
0: mm, which definitely. is, which is hard,
1: uh, hard for me to even, you know, deal with
0: really. Yeah, definitely. So, so right now we're talking through the, the Mac virtual visitor. So I want to talk about this a little bit more. Um, so what is, how did the virtual visitor come about and what's the purpose and how does it all fit into the engagement with your customers?
1: Um, so the, so the Macinex virtual visitor is something that, um, uh, that we wanted to do at Macinex for a long time and it's, you know, be in more spots. You know, we, we had the challenge when we first opened the U S business because the geography of the U S market was so big and we couldn't be at every spot all the time. And so we were doing like FaceTime meetings and things like that on iPhones to uh, show customers our equipment instead of you know, showing up you know, at seven o'clock in the morning before the rush of uh, customers came in. We, w- we would actually do these like demonstrations uh, via FaceTime and really like the when 2020, when, uh, when the world was shut down, uh, because of COVID, you know, it really pushed us into being in more spots that we couldn't necessarily be in. Cause all of our customers said, Hey, we don't want to see, you know, people because we don't want anyone spreading the virus. And that drove people to adapt to, zoom platforms and so we made a virtual visitor where we can actually you know bring people around our office now it's a platform it's got a car battery on it a couple tvs a computer and like an audio deck to actually you know walk people into our office our showroom do hands-on with service on our equipment whereas you know those customers wouldn't be able to get on a plane and travel to us because of covid so it really pushed the pushed the envelope on on how we interacted with our customers
0: yeah even just being involved at the start when you'll give me a bit of a tour around the office and just seeing everything like it's just it feels like a it feels like you're there like it feels very personal and i think it's an amazing touch and yeah, hopefully other businesses can learn a little bit about that because it's a great idea.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we we sh- we share this platform with our customers as well as our, you know, some of our partners that we have um, that we build equipment for, and you know, then we also try to encourage our customers to use it for their customers. Like, we'll jump on a virtual visitor to go through any of our equipment with. Our salespeople, salespeople, you know, mm. so then it, it really, you know, gets that outreach and it's another benefit that Mac X can, can bring to, to our customers.
0: What, um what trade shows have you been to recently? Because obviously with COVID, there was a lot of shutdowns over the last couple of years, which ones have sort of popped back up? What have you been attending and, and what's the current vibe?
1: Yeah, so we went to the rental show um, uh, end of last year. Uh, We were at World of Concrete. Uh, We were at the rental rally. I walked uh, surfaces, and you know the vibe on uh, trade shows and things like that. I think people like still getting together with people like that. that, I think that's always going to be that's just in human nature, but it's it's not necessarily the same. And I think the trade show industry really needs to, to pivot and maybe innovate a bit more to, to really bring that difference. And, you know, we've been talking about it internally, um, on how, how Mackinac's is going to be able to move forward with trade shows and really bring that benefit, you know, and maybe it's through virtual visitor. We, we toyed with the idea of actually bringing virtual visitor, to our trade show booth at you know the world of concrete so then maybe the people that didn't visit uh world of concrete could still then be interactive and feel like they're part of it. we could walk them around the show even if they wanted to see you know different booths you know we actually even talked about it with the ceo that we hired um john stewart you know because he's he's based out of australia and you know during those shows when he was supposed to come over We talked about getting, like, I don't know if you ever saw um, the the Snowden movie where Edward Snowden, you know, wasn't Mm. allowed back in the U.S., but they brought him in back in for the TEDx on that virtual visitor with, like, the wheels to drive around and stuff.
0: That's what I'm imagining, someone going around the ARA show with this machine, this little robot with a head
1: that that's it but like literally that that could bring so much more benefit and you know it's it's a different way of doing things um but i i think that that you know it fits right into to what we do making efficiencies extinct
0: definitely and look i do agree i i'm not sure what the answer is on the trade show side but I feel like things have changed a little bit in the last few years. People have realized the power of of working from home, working remotely, doing things online, being more efficient in the way that they communicate with people. And yeah, as I said, I don't know what the answer is, but I think there needs to be some type of little extra flavor in the trade shows to attract people there, to get them involved. Because I'm not sure what the attendance rates are like, but I can imagine there's probably still a few people that are hesitant to, to attend some of these trade shows, but again, last three years, every year we say that COVID's going away. So let's uh, we'll say next year might be the the new year, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, you know, I went with one of our design managers, Matt Cape, to a robotics convention. I think it was Matt. No, it wasn't Matt. It was well, someone else. But we went to the robotics convention, and they had like the. You know, the dog, the robot dog that walks Mm. around. And then they also had one of those like platforms, you know, that would drive around to each of the booths. Like we even in our in our office here, we have a little robot that drives around and it can talk to you and things. But that was at the robotics convention four or five years ago. And you know, the the rest of the industries will have to you know adapt and catch up to that type of technology
0: for sure. Yeah. Are you saying that we have to compare Boston Dynamics to, to the American Rental Association now we need to get them on the same level? Well,
1: you know, I think why not? If someone's already done it, like they they they've been doing that for 5 years. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like we just, you know, adapt and and use those technologies in, you know, stuff that we're doing like No, I don't. I I know that you know we can't do the Boston Dynamics type uh, (laughs) you know trade shows, but it's already been done, so we just have to you know use those ideas and and make it better for for our industry.
0: Mm, Yeah, you need at least a few people to think outside the box for it to innovate and move forward. Otherwise, it's just going to stay the same forever. Right. All right. Well, if you could give some advice to someone that's new to the industry what would you say
1: i think get involved with as many people as you can and ask about their experiences i think like what you're doing with the podcast is great you know it's a it's a way that you can learn about you know other people's travels and and really try to try to network and and learn from other people's experiences
0: yeah it's something that i'm quite passionate about even just networking i feel like if you went back 5 6 years ago and asked me how many times I network per per year it would be a very small amount it was the networking which i probably wouldn't even class as networking would really just be talking to customers and i found i wasn't the best at like trade shows itself like going up and like networking with like large amounts of people it's just i don't know i feel like i'm always i don't know a bit more of an introvert in those sort of environments every now and then I would talk to like someone like one person one-on-one or a couple of people outside of the event or whatever it was and I was surprised how like giving people are like people want to help other people and like they like to share their experiences and over the last year like I was I was thinking about just the other day I was in a meeting talking to someone and I was asking like how many people I have do you network with and they're saying oh XY whatever it is, it wasn't many per year per year like me. And I was looking at my calendar, and just this week I'm talking to six different people. Six different people. There's no agenda with any of the meetings. Like it's purely just from around the world. Like either they listen to the podcast or I'm talking to them or whatever it is. And like you can't like buy that sort of like networking experience because you don't know what doors those those open or, or feedback or whatever it might be. But I love that advice that you gave because I feel like more people should really like, yeah, put themselves out there and try and learn from others and, and not be scared because people are pretty keen to to give real world advice and, and give you time.
1: Yeah, and especially, you know, there this this industry, the can construction type industry, I feel that people are willing to help and and they do want to elevate you know, everyone, you know, and if if we can all grow together, that's, that, that's, that's the best thing.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that comes to my mind, which I'm also quite passionate about is like people, their excuse for not networking is because they're too busy. They're too busy. They're on on the rat race. They're stuck on the treadmill. They can't get off the day-to-day grind. And I think employers and employees need to look at the way they're operating and realize that there's a benefit to these sort of engagements by by learning from others so if anyone's excuse is that they're too busy i don't think that's really an excuse you're just not prioritizing networking that's right all right so what do you think has been the biggest challenge you're facing your career so far
1: you know i i think this this year of you know when when the pandemic first happened um it was like right after con expo and we we had a lot of things going with Mac and X and, you know, just, I had a lot of stuff going at that time. And, you know, the, when the world shut down for that, you know, month or month and a half time frame, you know, when, you know, there was a lot of fear and, and I, I know I was scared. Cause you didn't really know what was happening. I think that was probably the biggest challenge for me, you know, I was scared because I didn't know what was going on. Like, you know, if my family was still going to be alive, if this little red ball that they were showing us was going to, you know, get inside us and explode, you know, it's just that unknown, you know, so the family dynamic of aspect of that, you know, obviously, you know, we had a, a team um, with Macinex, and, and and we wanted to make sure that, you know, the team was supported, um, which, you know, put a, a lot of extra stresses and pressures, you know, on me personally and, you know, obviously stock market and everything, you know, crashed and, you know, there were just so many aspects that were coming at me. I would, I would say that for sure, I felt pressures that I had never felt before, never experienced before, which I'm sure a lot of people, you know, in every industry, you know, around the world can relate to, to, to that time period you know, we had, uh, we're we're operating the business out of the house, you know, because no one was going in the office, the kids were operating school out of our house, and we weren't allowed to leave our house, and, you know, all the the news and the media was horrible, you know, there, at the time, there was actually, in Los Angeles, you know, civil unrest and everything, too, and it's like, man, what, what is going on in the world, so I would say, for sure, that was a A massive challenge um, in my career.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, like when you've got things like that that hit you right in the face, shovel to the head, like how do you deal with them? How do you cope? Like that sort of stress. Like do you have like anything that you sort of fall back on?
1: We just took it in small steps, you know, and and picked a few specific things that we focus on, like control the controllables, you know, and kind of ignore the uncontrollables. And then exercise, you know, was a a big outlet for me, you know, to, to get that extra, probably negative energy out through exercise. Um, There was, you know, also drinking involved with that, you know, I think the, uh, around the world, uh, the alcohol consumption probably went up for the world, (laughs) but like really to, to really look at those individual things. Uh, and focus on those and make sure you got those right. You know, we know, we knew we wanted to take, uh, make sure that our, you know, our team, you know, came through the backside of, you know, COVID that, you know, people weren't going to necessarily be financially devastated and things like that. We wanted to really take care of the team through that. Um, So we made a constant effort to do that. And you know, we cut, cut expenses where we could so that we knew we could be stronger on the other side. And that was, you know, through, through Mac and X and, and the storage business for sure.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely a tough period for the world in general. Yeah. So you mentioned that your, your parents were a big influence on you from a, a mentorship. Uh, was there anyone else that played a big influence on you throughout your career as a mentor?
1: You know, my parents were, you know, obviously, you know, fam, family-wise, um, my my dad really was a, a big one for like the business side. I think another, another big one for me was like when I went to Australia uh, and worked at Kennards Hire, you know, kind of Pete Lankin uh, put me under his wing and really um, kind of helped show me a different, you know, side of business that maybe I didn't see before because I was more on you know smaller independent things and I think that was that was a that was a big you know eye-opening thing because I you know I, I learned from his story that he was involved you know actually with a company that was over here here in the states a, a rental company and then went back to Australia and that's that's how he got involved with with Ken Arms hire so um, on on the equipment side of the business, definitely Pete Lankin. Uh, BJ, my business partner in in North Carolina was, you know, he's more of a peer. I grew up with him. You know, he's been a good mentor for me in business. And, you know, I've, I've liked to see his journey of, you know, growing the business as well.
0: Yeah. Peter Lankin's an amazing individual. I'm, I, I'm not sure if many people know this, but he was actually awarded I think it's called the medal of honor it's, a, it's an award from the queen in in England that they give to individuals that have been highly influential have made big change or whatever it might be in their field and so he got the award from the queen uh, for his influence on the equipment rental industry in Australia which is like not many people get that award and so he's he's uh for people that don't know him yeah he's he's an amazing individual
1: that's pretty cool i didn't know that
0: yeah you should bring it up with him he usually he slides it on the table he doesn't talk about that much but if you google it you'll find it (laughs) all right and so if we could give some advice to young pete what would you say
1: i think just have no fear and uh you know stick with your gut you know if if you, if you feel something, go with that and don't, don't look back.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do you think fear holds back a lot of business owners or people that want to start their own business?
1: Yeah. I think fear holds back just a lot of things in general, you know, it, it stunts you, you know, and if, if you can look through that and just keep moving forward, I mean, I, I think we're, we're our own worst enemy, right? Like we're gonna, we're gonna limit ourselves. And if, if you look bigger and don't let that fear get in the way, uh, I think you can accomplish anything.
0: Mm. And I think it comes back down to, if you do have that fear, make sure that you've got like the support structure around you as well. So, Because as you said, like you might have the perception of what reality is, but that you might be thinking it's like the negative, but then everyone around you might be thinking, oh my God, Pete's like doing such a good job. And then like they can lift you up and you've got that support structure to sort of keep that momentum going and, and, and whatnot. Because if you do do everything on your own, like it's a bit boring, isn't it?
1: Right. Yeah. And it's impossible, right? If you're doing everything on your own.
0: Yeah. It's like, how can you grow? How can you evolve? Like, yeah, it's really important to have the right people around you. Yeah. And how do you define success?
1: I think success is probably a, a bunch of different things, but really, you know, it comes down to, you know, having fun with what you're doing and, you know, doing things that you want to do because you want to do them, not because you have to do them. And I think that's, that's what defines success.
0: Mm. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, uh, yeah. Like they hate going to work and nothing's ever going to come good out of something like that.
1: If, if you don't want to go to work, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be going to work because you're not doing yourself a favor or you're not doing the organization that you're working with a favor. You know, you, you should focus on doing things that you like to do and, you know, having fun with it.
0: Mm. Or at least like not everyone can just like quit and then do something they love, but at least know that, like accept that and even tell your manager, Hey, look, I want to do X, Y, and Z in the future, which is another thing. Like, I think most people think that their managers, depending on who your manager is, is going to be like critical of you wanting to like do your achieve your goals. But in my opinion, like every, almost all managers that I've worked for in the past, like if I said to them, "Hey, I want to be a truck driver or <laughs> whatever it is I want to do in the future," like they would go, "Okay, well, like what's the, what's the plan? Like, let's work out a plan to transition you out of the business or whatever it is and get." you can have your own time rather than like putting the pressure on yourself to, to do it and then you might never do it and then you, you continue to hate your job forever and then you end up quitting on bad terms.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that, yeah, that's it's, it's important to enjoy what you're doing for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's not always good days, uh, but I think the overall aspect of it, you have to want to do it. You have to have that passion of what you're doing and, and see, you know, why you're doing it, you know, know the why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. know the why I like that. All right, Pete. Well, look, when I come to the U S we'll definitely catch up, but I really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast.
1: You bet. You want me to walk you around the office? So you have, uh,
0: yeah, um, for sure. Let's do it. You have that too. Let's do All a little right. bit of a tour.
1: Now I'm going to be driving, so I'm not going to be in front anymore. So you'll just get to talk to whoever, whoever is there.
0: That's all right. I can be the train driver.